0: Hi! Hey! Welcome to The Cordial Catholic, a podcast for non-Catholics, new Catholics, and those looking to dig deeper into the Catholic faith. I'm K. Albert Little, an evangelical convert to Catholicism, and this podcast is born out of one particular idea. It began for me when a Protestant pastor I was working for asked me the question, what's more important, the Bible or tradition? That led me on a deep dive into Catholic history. Into the history of Christianity, into the history of the Bible, the biblical canon, where tradition came from, how the early church worshipped, what the early church fathers believed, what the earliest Christians taught, and how Christianity developed over time. Why some churches worshipped one way and why I worshipped as an evangelical Christian a different way. Well, that led me into reading from Catholic authors from actual Catholic theologians, and it was then, as I began to read from actual Catholic sources, that I realized that what I thought I knew about the Catholic Church was based more often than not on simple misunderstandings. Well, this podcast serves to fill in that same gap, the gap between what you think Catholics believe and what we actually do. Each week, I have a real Catholic conversation with a real Catholic thinker from the heart of the Catholic Church. No misinformation here. And this week, I'm joined by Father Joshua Caswell. Father Joshua is a superior general of the Canons Regular of St John Cantius, and he is a Catholic convert. He's a Pentecostal convert to Catholicism. He's a lot like me in so many ways, and this conversation is, I think, among my favorite maybe my most favorite one I've had ever on this podcast Father Joshua has a fantastic story it's, it's captivating it's interesting it's enthralling you're going to love I think this discussion and truly open your mind open your heart let yourself hear these things from the, the depths of your heart especially if you're a non-Catholic Christian listening to this program because Father Joshua is speaking to you and speaking I think in a profound, Way, So have a listen. I think you're going to love it. And thank you. Thanks for listening. This podcast is brought to you by my patrons at patreon.com slash cordialcatholic. Any financial donation that you can give helps to go to underpin this show and to help this thing keep going and keep growing. $5 or more a month donors can be entered automatically into a draw for free books every single month. That's my way of saying thank you. If you can't tell a friend about this podcast, if you can subscribe, if you can follow it, if you can like it, if you can review it, that'd be amazing too. And now, guys, without any further ado, here's honestly one of my favorite conversations ever on this show. I think you're going to love it. Father Joshua Caswell, Superior General of the Canons Regular of St. John Cantius. It's a great conversation. Please listen and enjoy. <laughs> friends, and welcome back to The Cordial Catholic. Thank you for being here once again this week. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. I am extremely delighted for this week's interview. I've had it on my calendar for a while. I've been looking forward to it. i got to tell you, I'm super stoked, so it's going to be a great conversation. I'm joined by Father Joshua Caswell. He is the pastor at St. John Cantius Church in Chicago and the superior general of the Canons Regular of St. John Cantius. As well, he's a Catholic convert uh, and... That's fantastic. So, we're going to dig right into it. Uh, Father, thank you for being here. Welcome to the show. I'm so delighted, and hello.
1: Thank you so much. It is an absolute joy, and of course, to speak to a fellow Canadian, a fellow subject of Her Majesty. It's a a joy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's fantastic. Look, there's so much I want to unpack in this conversation with you. I hardly even know where to begin, but... I I, I want to tell the listeners a little bit of the backstory of how this interview came to be, and then I want to dig into your story, and I think the funny thing is that we were introduced uh, through a mutual friend who's an evangelical, Austin Suggs from the Gospel Simplicity YouTube channel. I had him on my show way back when because I encountered him in a video that he made about going to Catholic Mass, actually going to a Catholic Bible study, was the first video of his that I saw. He His uncle was a Catholic convert and went to a Bible study and invited Austin along, and so... Austin had this YouTube channel talking about uh, the gospel and unpacking his faith and and teaching and and preaching and evangelizing and it was fantastic and he went to this Catholic Bible study and then unpacked his thoughts on meeting these real Catholics and made a video and I I saw it the algorithm just shared that video to me I, I watched it there wasn't very many views when I watched it and I thought this guy's fantastic I want to have him on my show to uh, unpack more Catholic stuff together because he had all these questions about the Catholic faith and stuff. And so I reached out to him just on the cusp of when he was, I think, uh, looking at, at going to some Catholic masses and, and, and trying them out and seeing what they were like. And I guess he at some point just walked down the street into this beautiful church of yours, really I, I unwittingly and unknowingly coming into one of the most beautiful churches in America by the looks of it. and And met you, Father, at some point. And, you know, I had him on my show. We, we chatted. We became pretty good friends, Austin and I. We chat a bunch now. And he met you. And then he texted me that night and said, Keith, you got to meet this guy that I met. It's this priest who's a evangelical Pentecostal convert to Catholicism. Uh, he's Canadian. You're going to love him. And I said, Austin, give me his name. <laughs> so that's how I first got your name, Father. Uh, of all unlikely places, through an evangelical friend of ours, who of course, if if listeners to this show haven't seen the fantastic videos that he's done with you, the tour of your fantastic church, and uh, the incredible uh, catechesis that you provide through the, the building, uh, your church building, just glorious and fantastic, uh, rich catechism that you provide there on the Mass and the Catholic faith, uh, check out Aust- that video on uh, Gospel Simplicity on YouTube for sure, Austin's video with you. But we've met now. He's hooked us up. He's connected us together. And so I'm so pleased at that connection, that providential meeting that I have with Austin and Austin with you. And now we're, we're united to Canadians and I'm just excited to to meet you and dig into that story. So I want to say again, thanks for being here. Thank you so much. And, and it's a pleasure to have this opportunity.
1: Oh, it's such a joy. And I think the fact that this connection would come through an evangelical is just shows how the Holy Spirit is still working in, uh, you know, among our Protestant brothers and sisters. <laughs> and um, he, he was really impressed. I thought it was going to shock him or scandalize him, but everything i threw at him he seemed to absorb so i kept i kept waiting for the uh, scandalized, like you know telling about the relics in the body and there was i didn't know what i didn't know what was going to like get him finally and then i think i even had him like randomly sit down with our brothers for midday prayer and chant divine office and then i randomly invited him to lunch with the community and that didn't freak him out so i thought okay he's doing all right <laughs> it was just a uh, pretty much a dive in the deep end but yes
0: and i think it up. It- I think I recall that was the first text that he sent me. He said, hey, Keith, I just had lunch with this guy who I think was the president of something. And I laughed and I said, OK, I want more information about this. What's going on? But I remember watching that video of, of, of him and you touring the church. And I was thinking what you were thinking. I was thinking, at what point is he going to get freaked out? Because he's seeing these relics and he's seeing these really because your church is, is beautiful. and has so much going on liturgically, and and I mentioned catechism, it's a catechism, it is, the church building teaches the faith in in every possible way. I mean, you have all these relics and these beautiful different things that have come over from different places of in Europe, right, and these works of art and all kinds of stuff, and I'm thinking, okay, at what point is this too much for an evangelical to take in? And they go, no, 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 I'm done. I'm out of here. And I thought for sure when, when the pieces of dead bodies came out, that was going to be what was going to be the defining point. But it's a fantastic video. I encourage listeners to to check that out. And uh, very grateful to you, Father, and for the blessing of, of, of your the, the charism of your community. For one, that beautiful church you have. And for that incredible, I mean, that video has been viewed, I don't know how many thousands and thousands of times now. That's a, just an incredible uh, evangelical tool that, that you've yeah, provided yeah. now. So, so thank you.
1: Well, <laughs> yeah, I cool. know yeah, it's really a marvel how God uses us in spite of ourselves. That day, I remember it was so busy and I didn't have time to think about it. My assistant says, you're meeting with this Protestant person, the church gave him a tour on video. And I walk in, the thing happens and, um, me having been at this church in Chicago now for 18 years, um, it was, I guess it just came naturally. And it's amazing. It's no matter what kind of day I'm having, how difficult or bad, once I begin talking about the church, I suddenly realize that I love her, which is amazing, consider how much there's not to love at times lately. But I'm always amazed that when I begin talking about the mysteries of the faith, that I light up and I walk away going, wow, I must actually love the church. And it's kind of consoling. And because there are times where it's discouraging and it's a uh, you know there are it's not in the most ideal situation in terms of you know diocese and so on, but it's um but amazing what God what God is doing here you know this this downtown church in this huge city, and I never ever imagined coming from northern Saskatchewan that I would be the pastor of this of this church I mean the first Catholic church I ever saw. Was a log chapel, I think. So it's quite a quite a stretch.
0: <laughs> well, that's the perfect segue, okay, Father, to dig into a bit of your story. I, I want to hear as much as you can tell us, because uh, you are a convert. You are, as you say. <laughs> From Saskatchewan up here in Canada, uh, listeners might have to get a, out an atlas or, or, or atlas. when <laughs> I <I'm> dating myself? <laughs> Open up Google Maps and look at where that is to figure that out. Uh, why don't you tell us where were you? Tell here, us about- a bit about.
1: Okay, <laughs> here's the funny thing about Saskatchewan is that um, even if you got out an atlas, you might not see where I'm from because Saskatchewan is a rectangle and it's very long, and they didn't always fit Saskatchewan on the map, and so. The top part, they just sort of cut off. So I'm literally not even on the Atlas map. Most road maps are not there because we have one road, which is insignificant going up to the middle of nowhere, Canada. And that's where I grew up and where, where, I, where my parents live now, in, near Brabant Lake, Saskatchewan, latitude 56.7. That's about 1,000 miles north of the, of the border of North Dakota. But Anyways,
0: <laughs> all right, listeners. So now you know where where he's from. Tell us a bit about growing up. So you didn't grow up Catholic. You grew up on a very remote area of Canada. Tell us a bit more about faith life growing up. What was going on in in your life as you grew up way up there? Sure.
1: So I didn't originally uh, move, I didn't originally grow up in the middle of nowhere. Uh, we had lived in the city of Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. My mother was an MLA. That's a member of the legislative assembly. And so she was uh, in politics. I think she got in politics because she, she wrote a letter to, of, to the editor of the newspaper. And then, boom, they said, this lady's got to be in. So she was an unlikely politician. Her nickname was the Saskatoon Sledgehammer. And uh, so that's where, that's, that was the, the environment I grew up with. In fact, my mother was the only sitting member of the legislature in Canada, to have a child while in office. So I still have a letter uh, that was written to my parents from Brian Mulroney, Prime Minister at the time, congratulating my mother on the birth of her son, which was Joshua. So that was 1984. I was the, um, at that time, my parents had already had five children. I was number six. So, and um, yeah, just growing up in, in the Pentecostal church, we went to a nice sort of mega church style I think it was related to Kenneth Copeland's ministry in Saskatoon and it was a big church. And I did know that there was a spiritual life. I did learn about like, uh, you know, like there's a spiritual realm and how you can pray for things. So I learned how to pray from the heart. And we also had other churches that we would occasionally go to, but Pentecostals are a bit, they're like Protestants, but like set free. I don't know how to explain them, but they're just sort of like, you know, in the middle of a church service, you might have somebody running around or just start shouting or laughing or who knows what, or rolling on the floor. I don't know. But there are these moments where there's these vivid manifestations of the Holy Spirit that happen in the Pentecost. So this is my my upbringing. So when I was seven years old, I knew I wanted to be a missionary. And so I found Bibles. Somebody had given me a whole box of New Testament Bibles from, I think it was the Gideons. And I went to the, the parks. And I'm like seven or eight. And I would pass them out in the parks and say, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? So I would give out these Bible... And people thought it was weird. But I think I was young enough that people thought it was cute. So they they, they took it. I don't know what happened. But uh, that was an early desire. And I, since I didn't play Mass, because I wasn't a Catholic, I didn't know what the Mass was. I'd only heard the name. They were like some cult. It was really weird. Catholics were this distant, far off, non-Christian. But when I was little, I remember... Um, preaching to my teddy bears that I'd lined up and actually doing a church service. So I would walk up to the teddy bears and I would be, so I'd be filled with the Holy spirit and I'd push the teddy bears over. Right. So they're slain in the spirit. So this is, this is my, my faith upbringing, you know, um, my parents were very solid. They weren't all over the map. They were very solid. And, um, I think they had a good authenticity radars where they, they knew where truth was. So I think some inklings must've started, when my mother was working in pro-life work in Canada, uh, she noticed that every time she was putting a bill forward in the legislative assembly uh, for pro-life, it was always the Catholics. And it was—I think that was must have been left an impression on her. Um, so, anyways, I'm, I'm growing up in this environment. I'm starting organizations at the age of eight or nine, and I, and I think Catholics are crazy. I had my first Catholic friend maybe by the age of nine or ten, and I remember he was. It was so strange. He brought me inside his house and he had palm branches, which he would burn, but I didn't know. It just looked like witchcraft. Like he was burning palm branches when there would be a storm or light a candle. And he had this thing called a scapular, which he said, when you put this on, you don't burn in hell. And I didn't like, it was like witchcraft to me, you know? So this whole thing was, I think I told him he was going to hell for wearing that. So So these are my, my first impressions, but big, big family went to church every Sunday. Um, we all, we also sort of didn't fit in because we didn't fit the regular Protestant mold. We, I mean, we were sort of, um, you know, my, my, the way my mother seeks truth is sort of, she goes from point A to point B the shortest route. So she just sort of just goes. And I think there was always a truth seeking. Uh, yeah. So growing up and then at one point, I think my mother made a trip to uh, Quebec or Quebec, Canada, And she was learning french and there she began to see the joie de vivre the joy of life of some of the older catholics she remember her speaking about an older lady who would almost skip to mass with with joy i didn't know what mass was it just was a name of something weird like some weird ceremony but uh, i remember also my mother mentioning this like white host or this little white thing i didn't know what it was but that was sort of these these little seeds are being planted but my mother was far ahead of my father in some ways. My father, you know, took him a while to catch up analytically because the woman is always very intuitive. So my mother brought, brought back a calendar uh, from one a Catholic church, and she hung it up in the house. And this memory I have, January 1st says, Mary, Mother of God. And I just had this image as a child of seeing my father take the calendar out, rip it up, and throw it, throw it in the garbage because he was so offended, right? It's such an obstacle, Mary, the Mother of God that's dangerous stuff. Like God doesn't have a mother, you know? So these were, these were just my initial impressions. Then everything changes. My parents move from the middle of uh, the, from Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, the city, and they move up North seven hours North of the city because my mother and my father wanted to start a vacation Bible school uh, on an Indian reservation with working with the Aboriginal people of Canada. And so uh, I'm up there, in a completely foreign environment. I don't speak the the Cree language they speak. Uh, They did speak some English, but it was a very different environment. And Indian reservation culture was just a total shock to me. And, but there we were going to the little house Protestant house of prayer. And my mother, I remember was going off to the Catholic church every day. And then like, I don't remember how this happened, but one day I just remember we just like decided to pray the rosary. And I don't remember why I guess the, the Aboriginal people told my, my mother that they, she should pray the rosary. So these people were evangelized by the missionaries like 70 years ago, and now they're evangelizing us. And we went up there to really preach to them, but they're preaching to us. And so now we're praying the rosary in this basement of this house that we're living in in the middle of an Indian reservation with a family with, uh, you know, seven children. And I was freaked out. And I all my brothers and sisters were too, because we were just like losing everything we we knew. I think we were like singing against the Holy Spirit. I don't know what. And I began to learn more about Catholics. I learned that they had this thing called the rosary. And in my mind, the rosary, they said there's these things you grab onto, you say a prayer. It was like a fishing net, like things. And I didn't know. And then there was this thing called like the confession box, which is a box you go into and they turn on the green light and your sins go away. So this thing just got weirder. So, but now we're, now the rosary is being forced on us. And with my mother's nickname, the Saskatchewan Sledgehammer, you can imagine, you know, it was kind of that sense of, you know, we're all becoming Catholic or you can get out of the house. And I was 11. So now we're praying the rosary. And I remember praying with my sister and my sister and I, I think must have, must have made some agreement not to say the Holy Mary, mother of God part, or we didn't say the mother of God. So it was like, Holy Mary, pray for us sinners. We'd skip that part. (laughs) So, um yeah, so that's so now we're on Indian reservation praying the rosary, and then we're going to this Catholic church. It was like a little tiny Catholic church, nothing beautiful at all, fluorescent lights. But there was an old OMI priest, an old oblate of Mary Immaculate, it's probably about eighty years old, and he would say the mass on the in the church there, and there was, you know, the Aboriginal people would pray the rosary in Cree beforehand. It was just my, that was my first experience of Catholicism. So there was sitting, standing, kneeling. It was pretty boring, but there was these, there was this box and the cross was there in the center. And I knew there's weird symbols like the I and the H and the S. This is all my experience. But it just sort of just gradually began to click. I'll tell you what really sparked a desire though, was there was one lady who was uh, an old lady and every day she'd, she'd walk to mass and she had this kind of face where she'd been in the sun for years uh, working on the log cabin or um, working with moose hides on an Indian reservation, in Northern Canada. But so her face would be so beautiful, but she was in pain because she couldn't walk very well. But I noticed that when she went to church, her face was beautiful. Like it was like, she had these little crinkles in her eyes. And when she prayed the rosary, she'd bang the giant rosary beads against the pew but it was like she had this joy. And I remember because when she went to receive Holy Communion, I remember seeing the crinkles in her eyes that she was just so overjoyed. Like there was a joy. And that was a moment where I must've said, I don't know what that white thing is, but I, but I want it because I saw the joy in this Aboriginal lady's face. It's just so beautiful. And that was, I guess, that was the, probably the beginning of the desire. Then, um, you know, just sort of force converted, and we had our confirmation, the sacrament just placed on us, and didn't, we didn't really know what was going on. My mother tried, and my father tried really hard. There was no um, RCIA. We're in the middle of the wilderness, and so my mother was reading us Catholic answers by the firelight as we're living in a now a log cabin without electricity and getting water from the river. So this is all an experience. Yeah, this is kind of, yeah. So then, um, yeah, we just... Just keep uh, it just keeps growing, and then of course, there was that story. I even hate to bring it up, but I, I think people would be remiss if I didn't. Then there was seven days, I think it was seven days before we were officially Catholic. the three there was three of us children home, and we blew up the house <laughs> <laughs> And uh, we just there was a propane tank, eighty pounds of propane and it just started leaking. And the three of us were home. It was, it was not a very good day, but it was, we blew up the house and our lives were spared. We should have died then. And, but, but we didn't. So we ran a mile to the town to get whatever we needed to, you know, get the house, but the the house was gone. Everything, we lost everything, but there was something about that fire. And I'll tell you what, what it was, was that when this flaming propane tank with 80 pounds of propane is burning in the middle of winter, we didn't quite know what holy water was, but my sister has saw my this Tupperware container of holy water in the house, and she said she put it on the fire. Now, you don't mix water in a chemical fire, but it didn't help. But I think about that. and think, huh, you know, that, that fire was blessed. So the three of us children, my sister Esther, my brother Nathan, who is now Father Nathan, he's a pastor and a priest in my religious community. But that day, as we should have died in that fire it's like god took something or, or he there was something as a covenant i'm not sure what it was but that was a moment then seven days later the sacrament of confirmation is forced on us kind of ish i mean i kind of didn't know what was going on i suppose it was okay i was like okay i, I had settled with it i think my younger brother said do catholics believe in dessert?" and my mother said yes and he says okay i'm, I'm okay with it you know <laughs> Like this is, this was our, our cat. We weren't really in it. We were sort of at that age of being indifferent, but none, none, nonetheless, the sacraments placed on you and it does something. So then I start serving mass at the old Oblate church, you know, in um, South end reindeer Lake for this, for father Raymond LeMay, who's nine years old. And as I began to serve mass, it was just like, I know I loved it and I didn't know why, but I just loved I loved the, loved the mass and, and I you know, I dated for a while and thought about, you know, dating and stuff and getting married. In fact, I think one day I'd overheard my parents praying in the bedroom of our house, which was very, it was a government housing, not very good, but the walls were very thin. And I heard my parents praying and they're talking about praying for the children because they still prayed out loud, out loud like Protestants do every night. They still pray out loud. So they're praying and they're saying, you know, we just pray for Joshua that he acknowledge his vocation to the priesthood. I was so furious and I decided to pray against my parents praying against my mother. And I didn't, it, I didn't win. And I even, even I think the girlfriend I had at the time told me that I hugged like a priest. I didn't know what that meant, but it was, uh, that was, it was unsettling. But at some point, you know, I haven't been so success, successful in overcoming God's will. So I think it was like justifying, like I'm going to have 14 children. They're all going to be priests and nuns or something. But at some point I was like, no, I think this, I've just got to go and do something. And then I heard about this order in Chicago at that time. It was just five years old, this new religious order. I found them on the internet and I just saw the words restoration of the sacred on the website. And there was, I I saw a picture of the inside of the church, which at that time wasn't restored, but it was just warm and beautiful. And I said, I'll call the number. And I, I, in my mind, restoring the sacred meant like putting back kneelers in churches or something cool, which I thought was what we we're going to, we we're going to do. I thought Latin is what they spoke in Latin America. You know, I had no idea. I'd never seen a Latin mass in my life. I'm coming from the middle of nowhere. And so I called a number and the voice on the other line was our founder, Father Frank Phillips. And his voice was so warm. And I just decided, you know what, I'm, I'm going to go. So I came to Chicago on a two-way ticket after graduating from high school, Immediately after graduating. From high school, at the age of like eighteen, and I just took the two-way ticket, crossed the border, and in two thousand three, and uh, I never went back. I I never used the return ticket. Father Phillips asked me a couple weeks later, "When's your flight back?" And I said, "Oh, that was th- three days ago," because I was just comfortable there, and so I just stayed. and uh, And that was th- seventeen years ago. I got ordained a priest by one uh, of the last priest ordained by Francis Cardinal George, along with my brother and another member of our community. And then, and so I was shocked I was ordained. And then I was even more shocked this last year when I was elected the superior of, my, of the new community. So the second superior after the founder of our community, which is just growing. And I'm thinking, what's going on here? I mean, I thought I was establishing that I'm a flight risk or something. Like, why did they do this? Cause I'm, I, you know, I'm a little, a little charismatic and a little, you know, I don't know what they were thinking, but I mean, like this is like a Latin mass order and like, you know, I'm kind of a little bit of a, anyways, that's, that's kind of how we got here. Oh, and some here, two years after, (laughs) two years after I joined my brother, Nathan, who uh, he was embittered about having, you know, conversion forced on him. And he was more enlightened because he was a teenager now with raging hormones. So he, uh, he just took off and left the house. And he was on the West coast of Canada picking mushrooms and planting trees and busking. And, uh, yeah, I suppose a tree planter is called a silviculturist. That's probably more appropriate. It was, he was whole tree planter culture. He was there, but he was an agnostic and he didn't even like, he didn't like the whole, he was just done because he was a little offended. I think he said, you know, he told my mother, you know what? Well, we grew up Presbyterian. It was our first religion. Then we're Pentecostal and now we're Catholic. Are we going to be Mormon tomorrow? So he was a little like disenfranchised. So he took off, but in the beauty of Queen Charlotte islands on the West coast of Canada, you're going to have to interview him next. He can tell his own story, but beauty of the West coast of Canada. He had this experience of nature where he just said, I need to pray to something. Cause when you're living in the woods, he said, you need to pray to something. And for me, uh, that's, you know, he's looked around and saw that love was a force in the world, like love in the sunset or in the birds. And he thought, well, maybe, uh, you know, maybe I can pray to love. So God tricked him and he prayed to love. But then he remembered that John writes that God is love, which is complicated. So then, then all of a sudden he's back home and I'm finding out that he wants to visit me, but he came and it wasn't, he wasn't visiting me. He was visiting the religious order and then he joined too. So then, it was my brother in the religious community, and we were ordained the same day by Francis Cardinal George, an oblate of Mary Immaculate, who had traveled extensively in northern Canada as a missionary. So God's providence, those are just some of the glimpses. But uh, here I am. And uh, yeah, the least likely to succeed 10 years in a row at this community, at least. But still... <laughs> Still, I'm, I I love, I fell in love with the church and I fell in love with the charism of our community, which is to make available to the people of God, the beautiful treasures. And so now in this middle of this city, which is so torn apart by strife and everything, we are winning souls through beauty. And I love it. And I don't know what I'm doing in a city of 4 million when I came from a town of 70, but that's, that's where I am. So maybe I have some questions.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness! Uh, I knew I knew going into this interview, two Canadians in the same virtual space would be uh, a riot. But this is this is out of control. Your story, father, is just is just unreal. I mean, let's just let's. I know just... when,
1: I, when, when I tell it, I can't even. I actually <laughs> question if that's real, but it is real. And I think I'm downplaying it. But yes. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, I've got to warn you, the Journey Home will be knocking on your door very shortly to have you on their program with Marcus Gerdi because they tend to poach guests from from my show for theirs, and your story is (laughs) going to be a two-parter that everyone's going to tune into. That's just fantastic. I do. I have a couple of questions and a couple of comments. I'm sorry for laughing at the propane explosion. It sounded funny when you first started telling (laughs) them. Then it sounded kind of scary. (laughs) I'm like, oh, I shouldn't have laughed at that. (laughs) I feel bad. He almost died. No, I, no, it was... that's just. Inc- there's so many incredible things in there. I, I want to start by asking you about your your parents' conversion. I mean, I don't know if you've talked to them in the subsequent years since they became Catholic and forced it upon you. I'm I'm just so curious. You mentioned the evangelization uh, of the indigenous people who were there, and and that is remarkable. That you were up there in that community to evangelize them and sort of Bible camp and the faith that they had, had been evangelized into, they then kind of were the new missionaries in a sense to, to, to you guys and your family. Have you ever unpacked that conversation with, with your, with your parents and, and got to the core of what it was that decided to, that, that made them decide to, to have the whole family con- you know, force, force confirmed and, and join the church.
1: You know, I think my mother does say, she's just, a, she, she says, like Cardinal Newman, to study history is to cease being Protestant. So she was a also a history major. And so the more, I think, so there, there's two things, right? There's, there's the gate of wisdom where you begin to see it makes sense, but also there's there's a the gate of beauty and that beauty comes even on an, you know, an Indian reservation in Northern Canada in a little log church can come from the beauty of somebody's face when they're receiving the sacrament or so just a witness like, I think, who are the most loving people? I think my mother's that, that way where she's, she recognizes who, who are loving people. And there's something that's so, you know, the, the Cree people are so deep. There's no mediocrity. They never put on airs. And I think that's part of what the, the struggle for them is that they have such deep hearts. The missionaries knew this. And so there's, there's an authenticity when they fully accept God. It's, it, the faith is real. And um, when it's not, it's unfortunately not but it's, it's a both end. But I, you know, I, I think I hope hopefully soon we'll have to have more conversations with, with my parents, but even their conversion to Christianity, because my mother was a, a socialist and a Trotskyist. And I know she met my father at the communist literature table at the University of Saskatchewan, where my mother was the acting student president. And I know that when my mother ran for office and won as a Saskatoon sledgehammer, the University of Saskatchewan Really republished my mother's radical leftist views to show people how how right and fascist Gay Caswell had become. Uh, my mother's name is Gay Gay Caswell, so she had you know really gone from she had this conversion, but it was ultimately in the life issues. But there, there is a lot there. on My parents' side, so
0: <laughs> there's so many stories to tell. That's fantastic, and so I am I. I like your initial impressions of of becoming Catholic. It's so fascinating to hear that through the eyes through the eyes of a young person. I mean these different ideas of the rosary and the, what what drew you to the faith. And I love that that in a sense it was the beauty that even in that as you describe it, very kind of plain and mundane sounding Catholic church you saw people with with joy and with and happiness and and drawn oh, yeah. drawn to the mass. I think that's such a. Mm-hmm. And I think
1: like the the priest Father Raymond Lemay. He wasn't a charismatic young priest of some archdiocese. He's a mission priest who goes to a community and is going to die with them, and he did. God rest his soul. But he just serves well. But that sort of that spark in his eyes of knowing knowing what what matters in life, like just just preaching the faith. I mean it's not creative. It was just simple in it. Yeah.
0: (laughs) That's amazing. But yeah,
1: seeing, seeing the faith revealed in people around us. But I, I, you know, I, I sort of skipped a lot of my tumultuous years as well. I mean, I got a lot of rebellion, a lot of bad things, but some, I, I, the beautiful thing about truth is that truth leaves an indelible mark in the soul. So once people know truth, it just sort of, you, you have the flavor and you can't shut it out. So I guess it's part of the beauty. So, and maybe just the beauty also i think the beauty of northern canada if i hadn't been in complete utter nature of northern canada the wilderness i don't think i would have would have had quite the impact of because that allowed me to 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 know that god is real and how he acts in nature and
0: yeah was there a point at which you began to to own that faith for yourself that you can kind of say yeah that's when i cuz i mean you, you mentioned it being kind of forced confirmed into the faith so you oh, were good. you were catholic was there a time when you began to say, "Okay, this is"? I mean, because you'd grown up in this one version of Christianity, which then was quite different. And so, I guess all of those formative years for you. I am thinking of my own uh, adult conversion. I mean, i became I became evangelical around the age of fifteen or so. We grew up kind of nominally ca- nominally Christian. Uh, I always say that we were a Christian without Jesus, so very morally Christian. We'd practice Christian virtue quite quite well. I mean, it was very important to our family. Went to church very rarely, uh, occasionally, and it was usually United Church of Canada or very kind of watered down kind of uh, secular Christianity in a sense. And uh, I kind of met Christ at the age of fifteen through through meeting this this Wiccan guy at a party who opened my mind to the idea that there was more than just me in the world. And as a, as a young teen, very self centered, I thought, "Whoa, there's more out there." And then I began looking into what else that could be. And my best friend growing up, I knew him since 1986. We, we we were 2 years old when we met and uh he was a christian and i knew that he was a christian because he couldn't play with me on sundays when we were kids growing up he was always busy sunday morning and i when i began looking around at the at what was out there once i began realizing that there was more than just me in the world and something greater than myself i went to him because i knew he was he, i knew he had something going on and what's remarkable to me looking back at how I evangelize now and share my faith and, and, and think about my faith, is that he never really talked to me as kids, even as teenagers, about 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 his faith. But his house, his house, we'd go to his house to hang out, to play when we were younger, to watch Star Trek when we were, you know, in grade seven or eight. And there's always a sense of peace in his house, this peace that I could not define or, or could not quite put my finger on. And so yes. when it came to... Looking at matters of faith, I went to him instinctively because I knew that there was something that he had that I didn't have, that I I just felt instinctively. And so, at the age of fifteen, I became Christian evangelical. It was it was say fifteen years later when I became Catholic. But I'm thinking, you know, and I think for me as as an older adult how hard it was to shift my paradigm in, in, in thinking from the evangelical world to the catholic world it's, it's a major leap in, in in paradigm i'm thinking for you as a as a kid i mean i guess you are in a sense more malleable cuz you're younger and you're a bit more maybe cognitively flexible or or uh, i don't know what the term sure. is but Was there a sense, I mean, I I get from your story, there's a sense of unease when you're suddenly praying the rosary in the basement of this house. I mean, and suddenly these things are very new and foreign to you. And you mentioned your mom being very like, okay, we're doing this, it's happening. Was there a sense when you began to own that faith, you know, and and begin to kind of put away or or, or shed or uh, grapple with your... Protestant upbringing and, and, and understand it in a new way in light of this new Catholic faith? Yes.
1: Yes. That's a wonderful question. I loved your, your own, your own insight into your own, your, that, that own moment in your own life and the, the, the instincts which are there at the heart. Yeah. I would say that, you know, I had been receiving Holy Communion, not fully really understanding what, what Holy Communion is, but um, I'm not sure if you know, Ken Yasinski He's a great uh, youth minister retreat leader in in Saskatchewan. Well, he has these things called face-to-face retreats and there's, there's a lot of like prayerful revival type things happening in, in Saskatchewan for some reason. But I went to one of these events and it was like a, it was like a union of the two because imagine like a Steubenville conference, right? So it was just like there were, there were talks about Jesus and I love Jesus. And so you said it was like your Christianity was like, a moral Christianity without Jesus. My Christianity was like Jesus without the morals. Like I was like water. So I had a spiritual life when I was like young and, it, but I didn't have any structure, just like water. No, no, no form. But so what happened was I remember at the end of this evening, just shocked me because they had adoration. And I don't think I'd ever really seen adoration in the mission church in Northern Canada. I didn't, I'd never seen, but there was this monster and sort of shiny gold splendid thing. They put it on the altar and they the lights were there and they're playing music, but it was just, it was a, it was a moment for me to like, the people were doing like praise and worship like they would do in a Protestant church, but there was a focus and a center and it was different because it was, it was fine. It finally made sense. It wasn't like, okay, we know who, who Jesus is. And there was just a moment. It was, I guess this is the moment of Eucharistic amazement when, uh, you know, just suddenly realizing that's Jesus and it's God. And I love him and he loves me and there's nothing else that matters. I had, I had that moment and it was, it was deeply profound and it, it, it definitely changed my life and set me on, on a course. But I remember going coming back and thinking, there, there's no discrepancy. The way I was brought up in the Pentecostal church and knowing that we could love and worship God, but finally here is the real presence. Here is God in our midst. And we don't have to be all like, you know, I was, telling, I was joking with Austin about this but when I, I love to listen, cause I go to Protestant churches now just cause I love to see their thirst. But when I see that the way, the way that they pray, it's really funny because I can see myself without the Eucharist when they go, father, we just ask you to be present with us. We just ask that you would touch us in a tangible way with your real presence, but they don't even know that they're longing for the Eucharist. And it just, once like I think it's the scandal of the incarnation. They can't handle this it. too much. Like they want God to love them, but if they knew how much God loved them, then they'd be overwhelmed. Cause like, but that was what happened to me. It was like, Oh my gosh, God does love me so much that he's here now. It's not even just distant or not some ethereal Holy spirit. It's like, wow, boom, there is, there's God on the altar. So that was probably the moment. And then the rest just began to flow. And I began to see too, like um, how some of this praise and worship music is like icing on the cake, but people can't eat that all the time they need real food. And so like at the end of these retreats, they would close with like this chant. It was like the Salve Regina, which I'd never heard in my life. But It was just a simple chant. And it was, it was, it was suddenly different and still. And I said, that's beautiful. And I knew something about chant and the the depth. And I'm watching all these young adults go from this, you know, emotional faith to a deeper understanding. And now many of them are, have vocations and they're all over the United States. And, you know, they're whatever, but that's good. That was an answer to your question, I think.
0: (laughs) That's fantastic. And you know what, Father? You've put something so well there. And I think, I don't know, this resounds so deeply with me as an evangelical convert to Catholicism as well, like yourself we'd sing these songs right we would we would long and and we so this might be a bit foreign for for catholic listeners right we'd call it worship music we call it worship so part of the, the our church service on a sunday or part of even a midweek thing we do we'd call it worship and we that that meant you know, praying and playing music and singing songs to god and what we longed for in all of that as you said what we what we Ultimately, longed for those things. I'd go there in university. I'd go to these Pentecostal churches uh, in town, and as you described, there's there's falling on the ground, there's praying in tongues, there's very charismatic things happening. I don't know if you had flags in your upbringing. We would flags. were always my favorite. I loved the flags when they came out. But <laughs> but this was, I mean, what we were all longing for was an experience of God a tangible presence of God there among us, right? That's what we were longing for. And so for me, for me, when I realized that, and I can really picture still for me, so part of my catechesis father becoming Catholic was watching RCAA videos from Our Lady of Good Counsel in Plymouth, Michigan. They put all their videos online on YouTube. Uh, and, and I... This was, I mean, YouTube was not so very sophisticated back then, so you had to do a bit of of digging. And so I found these videos, and I ended up watching about three years' worth of their RCAA videos, filmed kind of on like a cam Sony. It was very basic at the time. On YouTube, I'd be up, before we ever had kids, till 2 or 3 in the morning, kind of secretly at the time watching these videos. My wife was asleep in bed upstairs watching these RCAA videos. And we came to this idea of the Eucharist, and I went, what's that? And I began to learn, and my, my my jaw kind of dropped. And what I was most excited for when I learned about it was Eucharistic adoration. This thing called adoration, because once I realized that Catholics believe that you know this consecrated host, when you, when we when the priest prays these prayers, the words of Christ on the altar, you know, this this bread and this wine become the body, soul, divinity. All these things of. of of Jesus, this becomes Jesus in every tangible sense other than appearance in this mysterious way, I was like, oh my gosh, I have to get close to this. I want to do this adoration thing because all the things I'd longed for in these worship services and singing these praises to God and and, and doing worship as, a, as an evangelical, as a Pentecostal, as a Protestant... This is what I wanted to be in the presence of God, and here was this this thing called adoration that Catholics do. That was exactly what I have always wanted. I just for me becoming Catholic that was the most exciting thing. Not even receiving the Eucharist at first. I mean, that was almost secondary when I realized I could also do that. <laughs> but it was just being able, to, being able to experience adoration, right?
1: Yeah. No, it, it does. It puts all that into context, like all this expression, like this whole worship that, that, you know, evangelical Christians do, but like, what if God's in our midst, like really in our midst in a very real way that changes everything. And it brings a focus in it. It, it, you know, it's, you know, I know for a fact that when, when the church becomes recognizable, she will attract so many Protestants that there will be such an influx. Um, that it'll it'll shock people how many the protestants god is moving them i think very very surely and slowly toward recognizing uh god in in the catholic church right now the church is a little bit hard to recognize because of so much of the pain and the suffering but you watch out and when those protestants and and evangelicals come they're going to bring well what we lack which is thirst because they have desire we have the sacraments but we don't have the desire. We take that for granted. They want the living water. They want the mercy and the confessional. They want the Holy Eucharist. So this is my favorite hobby. I don't know why it is, but it's ever since i have never. it's never left me even in Chicago. it just been like a playground of Protestant churches where I just go and watch people fall in love and, and tell them, give it a name and watch them sort of, I, I don't want to just say I'm poaching. I'm not trying to poach, but I'm just like, it's, it's sort of my hobby. It's just like, cause it's so easy because they they all, want, they all want the fullness of truth. And that experience of God you talked about, oh my goodness, the intangible reality, the entire mass, like a Tridentine solemn mass that's not rigid, but that's beautiful and just like poetry in motion, where just heaven like just soaks earth. Like this is where I see an overlap. 1230 Tridentine High Mass on Sunday, we've got a full church, we've got hipsters and homeschool moms and you've got the mohawks and the denim jumpers and every you got everything in there right because everyone's everyone's just there but you watch you can almost cut the air with the thickness of the weight of god glory in in that church during a tridentine latin mass because there's something that like you just like are looking all the hipsters hunched over in the pews like just like listening to gregorian chant or whatever but it's is it any different than what The Pentecostals are looking for, which is that like slim the spirit experience. There's something happening, there's an overwhelming sense of glory or God, anyways. I'm, a yeah, tangent, no, I, obviously I, excited, but I
0: love this. And no, we're, we're on the same wavelength. Your father this is absolutely amazing. Talk to me more about that because my background, and I'm sure your background too, and certainly your parents' background, was this idea that. And now I wasn't raised this way. I inherited this kind of joining. A, and, I, and what happened to me is I, I became Christian and then, and then joined the church my friend was a part of and eventually found my own church a bit closer to home. And it was a Pentecostal church. We called it Bapticostal because it wasn't, it wasn't super charismatic as a Pentecostal church, but it was still Pentecostal and it still was very much that way. And I always say that, you know, we were so anti, not overtly anti-Catholic. So there was no, there was never any kind of Catholics are, are wrong going to hell, like exists in some Pentecostal churches for sure. Maybe more than most uh, evangelical churches. I, I don't know. They have a bit of a, a corner on that in some cases. But what existed for me was the idea that we couldn't even say the Lord's Prayer, because the Lord's Prayer was vain in petition. So we didn't even pray the Lord's Prayer. I didn't really learn the Lord's Prayer until I became Catholic, probably, like, to really know all the words very well, because for me it was, you can't yes. pray that it has to be spontaneous prayer or else you are like the Pharisees. You're repeating this rote prayer, right?
1: Don't babble like the Pharisees. Totally. <laughs> yeah. No, you're right. And so we had to learn we had to learn these things. So like it was like learning to like say a prayer in the back of a Holy card, you know, like it was a very strange experience, but yeah.
0: So for you me, know? so for me, I mean, the going from a very kind of free form. Now, of course, this is, freeform in quotation marks because there were, of course, certain rites and rituals that existed in the Pentecostal churches. That those charismatic things you did as a Pentecostal were a kind of. Ritual I know they can't help it. Human rites. nature, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Human nature needs ritual, yeah. So I want to kind of like contrast that with like the the what seems very ritualistic and prescribed and solemn and uh, all all those things that that are. Present in say this this high Psalm Latin Mass that you'd pray. I mean, it is, it is, it is fulfilling all of those urges of the evangelical, charismatic, all those different desires. It looks very rigid, very prescribed. The, the prayers are, are read, kind of prayers that are prescribed a certain way. The the actions, the gestures, the the kneeling, the standing, the bells, when these different things happen. It's all very prescribed and very it's got to be in a certain way. Talk to me about how that really encapsulates this this the spirit of worship and 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 God moving and and what makes it attractive. Because I'm there with you, I I get that, but I can I can picture some listeners going, "What is this? What is this guy talking about? This like how can right where you know, like, why why you, would yeah, God right. you know why would God move why would God be moving attracting people to this." This ritual, like this this stodgy yeah,
1: ritual, right? For sure. No, and and God certainly is, for some reason, attracting people to this proscribed ritual. Um, the beauty that I've discovered, because it, it originally set me off, too. I didn't really think it was... I thought, like, well, where's the fun in that, you know? I want to do my own thing. But now, and I remember saying this to Austin, but now when I'm praying... This prescribed ritual and following an age-old rite, it's like I get to die a little to myself and in obedience. I just like and God comes through. Here's the best analogy I can give. Um, there was a Monsignor uh, Hellrigel, who was sort of like the liturgical founder of our community. He's sort of a a mentor of our founder, but he said that the all the rubrics and all the actions of the mass. They are the shell protecting the kernel. We don't worship the shell, but it's the kernel we worship. And so, yes, I have this experience, and believe me, I am a charismatic Catholic. Yes, I can say that. I know the word charismatic freaks people out, and it's going to freak some people out, but that's okay. I, I know I am, because I, what it means is that I want to encounter God in spirit and truth, so when I am praying the static prayers, of the stodgy old rituals, that tent revival is going in my heart, and it just the more that you die to yourself and just dis- dis- disappear into what God gives us the way we worship him. I mean, it depends what viewers want. I'll just tell you the truth because it is truth that the sacred liturgy is what God gives us through the church to worship him. I and mean, we when we worship God in the way that he wants to be worshiped, that obedience just produces such fruit. And it's not like it, there's, there's a, there's a freedom there. Like you can let go. Like the only time I'm at rest is when I'm in the sacred liturgy. It's the only rest I get. Because I don't have to be creative. I don't have to be like, good morning, everyone. How are you? And talk about Starbucks coffee or whatever else or what I did in the golf course. No, I'm going to go to the mass and just, I'm going to go and be Christ. And, and and you get to be the church. And let's just have this love affair. Well, let not complicated. I don't know. I, ho- I hope that makes sense for the listeners. But yeah, that's, uh, that's kind of how I feel about it. But it is. So the liturgy is a means to an end what is the end? The end is encounter with Jesus Christ. That's what we want. That's what we and the evangelicals agree on. And that's why we're going to unite eventually. I know this. We want encounter with Jesus Christ. But how do we get there? Well, What are the means? The means is the sacred liturgy. They think that the means is the end for us. No. We don't worship the Latin Mass. We don't worship the rubrics. We don't worship we worship Jesus Christ. And boy what an awesome tool to get there. Oh my gosh. It's amazing. Like, try it. Come on, <laughs> daily John. Just come, come visit. Go visit.
0: Well, that that's that's Doctor Peter Kreitz, who's a famous Catholic philosopher, one of my favorites. Uh, that's his famous challenge to non-Catholic Christians: is if you it, it, similar, is if you are unsure if the, the the claims of the Catholic Church are true, come to Eucharistic adoration because. We say the Catholic Church says that God is there, he is there, and if he is really there, he will draw you into his church. So just come to adoration, come to mass and and see and if if God is, you know, in the Catholic Church, he says he will he will call you into that. So that's that's a great, I mean that's a fantastic gateway. I had I had Dr. Dennis McNamara on this show ages oh, ago. Oh, D Mac.
1: He's my
0: friend. <laughs> I'm going to say he's a big fan of your church, I'm sure. Big fan of yours. Big fan of this podcast, as it turns out. Good friend of the show. And he, I mean, he has the the market cornered on explaining how the mass is and, and what it's for. And we sat down and talked about the whole the idea of what the mass is and unpacked that, you know, ages ago on the show. Probably embarrassing to listen back to the episode because I wouldn't know what I was doing back then. E- even less so than now, I imagine. But he talked about it as like you say okay if if god is is god he he probably has a certain way he wants us to grow to be more like him i mean this is the whole point of of life to become more like christ this divinization become more like god because that's the best life for us god wants us to be with him to to live in mm-hmm. him and so if that's the end goal and if the mass is what God says, "Hey, this is the way you guys should do it. I know the best way. Here's how you do it. Well, well, why else would we want to do it any other way, right? It's this kind of spiritual exercise, in a sense, of of us of God have, having us exercise our spiritual muscles to become more like Him. A- and the Mass is that route, which I think was a fantastic way of putting it. I mean, you've put it very similarly. It, it reminds me of. I mean, I began digging into." Really early on in my own conversion, digging into why I worshipped the way that I worshipped at a non-denominational, uh, nominally Pentecostal through affiliation down through the ages, this this church, why I worshipped that way, uh, and why other people worshipped in different ways, and I and I came to discover, or to to conclude in this thesis I was working out on my blog back in, back in like the early two thousands. I came to work out that Catholics had the corner on how to worship because they have been doing it this certain way for for a long, long time. And they could explain why they do certain things with the Mass. I, mean, I really didn't even know. I did almost no research to come to this conclusion. I really didn't know why Catholics were doing this, but I knew that they knew why they were doing it. And I knew from asking our pastor and, and doing my own research at, at, looking around at the evangelical scene, that we had no hot clue why we were doing it the way we do we're doing it you know we we inherited this framework of of okay so we open up with jokes about Starbucks and golf and some worship songs and this spontaneous prayer from the worship leader included a lot of just just and likes and Lord yep. come write this <laughs> then one more song and the pastor the pastor comes to the front and he prays and well our eyes are closed the worship band sneaks off the stage and we open their eyes and they're gone and it's magic and then he <laughs> He prays a ser- you know, he 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 does a sermon that's like it's half an hour to an hour, depending on how merciful he is feeling, right? And there's the worship band sneaks back up when he's praying his closing prayer and they play a few more songs and and, and once a month there's communion. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, so why do we do it this way? Like why is this the structure of things on a Sunday morning? And once I began to peel back that onion and, and dig a little deeper. Uh-oh, I was like dangerous. Right. I was like, well, there's really no reason why we do it like this. I mean, the best way to figure, and I counter this later on in Louis Boyer, the French uh, theologian, who does a great book on Protestantism and, oh, and, yes. and Catholicism. He explains kind of the 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 connections between these two ways of worshiping. But I realized that really there was the the root of that is in the Catholic Mass. They've just taken away certain parts of it and it's kind of evolved over time and it's and I realized that that we're both Cling to a tradition of how we do a, a quote unquote worship service, but so we're both looking for a way to get closer to God to accomplish that end goal. You talked about a minute ago, Father. One way was fairly modern and kind of we don't really know why we do it this way. And it's done differently in certain evangelical strands, and 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 it's not really well understood. And here are the Catholics doing it this way that has a long tradition. And once I began to dig deeper into that, I mean, goodness gracious, you can find Justin Martyr, an early church father, writing in like 150, right? Describing describing the Catholic Mass in extraordinary detail. So at that point, right, if you're weighing those two ideas, how do we get closer to God? You, you've you got to give some credence to this, this stodgy, ritualistic, kind of prescribed way of doing Mass that... Actually, ends up being really beautiful and historic and ancient and, in, and, I know, and I incredible, know.
1: right? And, and that's the beauty is like you are so right when you are. It's like when we are singing certain chants, or even the chant tone for the paternoster, Noster the Our Father. We're like we're we're singing a melody that has been sung dating back to the Jewish temple, or when we're when we're moving doing certain movements, the Orans position, or all these things. We're, we're we're living this age. old it's you're tied back this golden thread to like to the time when the church fathers lived and the church fathers boy, were they Pentecostal, you know, you look at some of, some of their, their writings and like how the Holy Spirit's working in them and all the manifestations. I mean, we're meant to live that, that way today, but it doesn't mean we check out. Uh, we don't, you know, if we want to get back to what they had, let's use what they had, which I understand was, was the mass and, and like believing in the mystery, like believing in the grace. No, the church is not an institution. The church is a divine mystery. It's it's I mean come on people it's it's grace or you
0: know well I lo- I love that y- that you talk about the beauty drawing in our, our evangelical brothers and sisters into the Catholic faith looking for that truth and finding it in in this beautiful mass I mean I think you're absolutely right I think the other route too is is through the ancient church the early church and I know at your church Saint John Cantius you guys have tons of of relics I've I've seen some in the video that Austin produced on his Gospel Simplicity channel. And that's a weird thing. I always describe this as like the weird, the weird aunt, the strange aunt that at Thanksgiving dinner, now for us Canadians, that's a bit earlier in the month of October. Exactly. Right. It's a bit confusing because now you're mostly an American, but we still both celebrate (laughs) Thanksgiving. Yes. And I always liken to that weird, that weird aunt that you kind of, you know, she's at the table at dinner on Thanksgiving, but you hope that nobody talks to her, or like, you know, <laughs> you bring your girlfriend to Thanksgiving for the first time and hope that the aunt doesn't say anything super weird, right? I always liken relics to like that kind of aunt. You don't want to lead with those to the new person looking at the Catholic Church because it's super weird and strange. But then you look at the at the ancient church, the ancient Christian faith, and. It's right there in the Bible. it's right there in what the early church practiced. It's actually not that weird we we we, we lose that and as Pentecostal Christians, right We still have this very tangible faith, especially as Pentecostals right there's lots of tangible faith in that there's falling down, there's slain the spirit oh not too much, to much like
1: like prayer cloths or yeah. whatever else or like you know you have some blessed prayer mantle or who knows what, but they're like tangible things, but yes.
0: But then somehow relics seem strange.
1: I know. And and, and we're ashamed of them. And so we want to lock up our old aunt in the closet <laughs> and hopefully she doesn't come out. But you know what I found out is I actually, I found out the, the opposite uh, is true because we should be afraid of those things. Like I told you about my one Catholic friend in this brown scapular and lighting the palms on fire. It was all like witchcraft to me. It, it was cre- creepy, but still there's something there that fascinated me. People are looking for the line between heaven and earth. I'll give you an example. I hosted the uh, or helped organize hosting the relics of Saint Maria Goretti to Chicago in uh, 2016, and we brought 20,000 people through our church in 24 hours. We our plan was the three C's: curiosity, uh, conversion, commitment. So curiosity. What we have this macabre saint, you know, coming with a police escort and. You know, so we just brought the whole city to see this saint and the relics, but it just drew people. But once they knew, here's a connection to somebody who lived love, right? And so with Austin, I'm showing him these relics of like early apostles, martyrs. We have that. I said, we have a whole body here. He goes, a body? Yeah, we have the body of Saint Simplicius, a Roman martyr who died in the Colosseum with the name of Jesus on his lips. Like, I mean, come on. Yeah, this is our faith.
0: And it's, it, it's so fascinating you know, as a gateway to to evangelize like that, and then to look at that and say, "Well, look, the early church w- was unashamed, unabashedly doing these things and celebrating these things." You know, to, so to, so if if they got it wrong that early on, I mean, th- there's there's questions about if any of this is, is is real at that point. But to admit that, yes, okay, they were doing that then. So maybe maybe you, as a Pentecostal, as a Protestant, as an evangelical. That's weird to you. But let's recognize that look, the stuff that you have at your church, this never stopped happening. Like these these no. relics from the early church, that was a thing that we that we Catholics did all the way up until today, and it's still being done. And just because you didn't know that as an evangelical and it seems weird and strange like idolatry, maybe let's take a step back and and reframe that and try and understand, okay, so I see that as strange and weird, but but why we're why was that okay with the Catholic Church for so long? Like, what, what am I missing there, right? And asking those questions, trying to understand the perspective of, of the Catholic. You're, you're looking at and going, whoa, what's going on there, you know? Bring that crazy aunt out of the closet, and let's ask her some questions, right?
1: Oh, I know, because she was there. <laughs> <sighs> that's, that's a beautiful analogy. And, and the thing is, like um, adoration— Uh, I also believe in the power of relics that there's a spiritual and like, I want to, let's just go talk about like, let's just go to new age Chicago for a second. We have like 400 new yoga centers in Chicago and everyone's talking about energy and auras and whatever, but there's a certain energy when you bring out relics into a church, all saints day, we had them all around all the altars with candles and flowers, people, they just, you can feel it. Now I have atheists walk in the church and they just, they say, this place feels alive. Like what, what's going on there? You know, and so, yeah, I'm not ashamed of, let's, come on, let bring all the weird stuff.
0: <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. I, I'd love you to tell me more about, okay, so I can't think of all of your time. I want to bring this to a, to a close in a little bit here, but I, I don't want to actually. I want to talk to you forever, I <laughs> think, at this point, but this is fantastic. It's been fun. But I want to know, so the, the charism of your community, I think, is incredible. I mean, you're there, you're there, Chicago with this beautiful church. Full of relics, full of art, full of beauty. Uh, listeners can have a look at that on that fantastic video the Austins put out there. And I've, i I'm, I'm not his marketing team, but apparently I have become his marketing team for this episode. It's just fantastic. But they've got to see your church because it's fantastic. It's just beautiful. Can you talk a bit about? I mean, you were, you're now the head of your <laughs> this order there, which, as you say, seems unlikely. You were, you were. You are, I think, self-voted were like least likely to succeed for the last ten years. I don't know if you've given yourself those <laughs> trophies, but it sounds like you may have. Tell, tell me a bit about the charism, and I don't know that journey, and how we can bring that as Catholics. I mean, and and how we can, I mean, invite some of our evangelical friends and, and listeners to this show to explore that a little more, or or to raise their curiosity a little bit. Maybe Does, is there a question there
1: that makes sense? Sure. No, there absolutely is. What I think God did, uh, and and why, um, why I for whatever reason He's chosen me to lead uh, and be a, a, a sort of the principle of unity in this community is because what I've been able to bring is the interior of the liturgical experience. That the liturgical experience, that all the rites and rituals are nothing in and of themselves without that deeper center. And so I think trying to unify those and recapture that we can, um, you know, that we can bring that deep personal encounter with Jesus Christ into the sacred liturgy in, in, in a, a way that's profound and par excellence. And, and I really believe that that's, that's our charism is like to bring forth these rich treasures from the past and to show people how they lead people to a personal encounter. So, you know, any of our evangelical brothers and sisters, I mean, there, there are so many ways, even if you're not ready to convert, we're getting into Advent, have an Advent wreath or do things, you know, just start doing little um, rites or, you know, just start exploring. Oh my gosh, what if you did Lent? That's a scare people, you know, but all all these, these things um, just start to really, you know, draw you into the fact that these are, these are the, the shell protecting the deeper kernel, which is the personal encounter with Jesus Christ. (laughs)
0: <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, I this has been an absolute privilege to talk to you and an absolute joy to talk to a fellow Canadian living abroad now, as you are, but just fantastic Pentecostal convert. I mean, a lot in common. We could talk for hours, but I think this is a good place maybe to bring it to a close. And uh, I'll have your brother on next. i got to have him on too. because he oh, like he's so much
1: fun. Too. He's a pastor of one of our other churches. He's making maple syrup and... Raising bees and doing amazing <laughs> stuff. Yeah, it's amazing that my brother's in my same religious community. He's my older brother, but I'm his superior, which is
0: hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> that must go over well at Thanksgiving. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Father, tell us a bit more about listeners, where they can find out more about your church, your order, your charism, and things you guys are up to. Where where do you want to point them towards?
1: Sure, I would just say uh, you can check out our YouTube channel, uh, St. John Cantus Church on YouTube. There is our live streaming apostolate. We live stream our divine office and our masses, especially during these times of lockdown. We've been full on of that and we're committing to that. Uh, also, just check out our website, cantius.org. That's C A N T I U S dot But just, you know, uh, come and see and find ways that, you know, what, what we are doing here can be done anywhere. You don't need a huge church in a big city. This can be done in the smallest area, like that experience of the sacred in Northern Canada. And so living the sacred in your life is, yeah, that's, yeah. And then we're also accepting vo- vocations. So if there's any young men uh, who are interested in uh, just a vocation, give us, give us a ring. And maybe it'll, maybe what happened to me will happen to you. You'll come for a visit and never leave. So
0: <laughs> that one way, two way ticket. <laughs> that's fantastic. Father, I want to say God bless you. God bless the, the, the work of your uh, of your order, your work, the work that you're doing in the church. Thank you for being here. Would you care to close in a prayer for, for our listeners uh, before we, we hang up?
1: Absolutely. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Almighty and merciful God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for uh, the ways that you are working in the mystical body of Christ. We thank you for the ways that you are bringing unity and the way that you are building bridges. We thank you for the ways that you are teaching us how to worship you and how to make the church beautiful again. We ask that you would implant in our heart a deep desire to love you and to serve you, especially as we fight for the bride of Christ, the, the church, that she can be that beacon of light uh, for you that will draw all nations and that all may be one. And we ask this through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. And uh, may Almighty God bless you as a father the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
0: Amen. Father, this has been an absolute thrill. <laughs> Thank you so much.
1: Of course, absolutely.
0: Well, I hope you loved that episode as much as I enjoyed it making that episode for you what a great conversation and huge thank you to Austin Suggs from the Gospel Simplicity YouTube channel a good friend of mine for hooking me up with Father Joshua what a great connection what a fantastic conversation TheCordialCatholic.com is my website for show notes for this show and for my blog as well. Cordial Catholic on Twitter, The Cordial Catholic on Facebook, and feedback. Please send me your feedback. I read all of it and get back to you as soon as I can. That's CordialCatholic at gmail.com. Let me know who you are, where you're listening from, and why, why you continue to listen. Patreon.com slash CordialCatholic or Paypal.me slash CordialCatholic to donate to this show. All those funds go right back into helping this show to keep going and and keep growing and underpins all this fantastic work we are doing here. Week over week, this show is growing, and I have you guys to thank for helping to keep that thing possible. Help to keep this thing possible to do. (laughs) Thank you so much, guys. Please uh, follow this show. Subscribe to it if you can. Please leave ratings and reviews. Those help to go a long way to push this podcast out to new people. And you have my eternal thanks to those who leave those ratings and reviews reviews. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks for listening. Know that I am praying for you. Please pray for me every single day, and thank you. Thanks, guys. I'll talk to you again next week, and God bless, guys. Take care.